Now on Food FM, it's The Baker's Dozen with Stephen Hallam, the pork pie man with a bow tie from the old pork pie shop in Melton Mowbray, the world centre of excellence for pork pies. Baker's Dozen on Food FM. Claire Patak is a food writer and food stylist. She develops recipes and she's the owner baker of Violet Cakes in Hackney, East London where she specialises in producing stunning cakes, principally made with organic ingredients and seasonal flavours, and probably came up on everybody's radar a couple of years ago when uh, she was asked to make a rather famous wedding cake. Perhaps you might like to talk to us about that, Claire. Hi. Um, yes, uh, so, okay, jump right in with the, with the hard question, Stephen, thanks. <laughs> um, or, or we, we, could, we, could, we could work our way up to it if you'd prefer. Yeah, but, yeah uh, no, might as, might as well, might as well go right in. Um, yes, I, I really um, had this awesome opportunity a couple years ago, 2018, to make the wedding cake for uh, Prince Harry and Meghan. Markle, um, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a mouthful. Um, yeah, it was it was super cool, super super surprising to be asked, um, and obviously very exciting. Um, and then it all just kind of turned into a really cool normal job. Like you know, it was they had a really um, lovely idea of how they wanted to celebrate their wedding, and they asked me to kind of just do what I do, the types of cakes that I make. And we came up with the flavors and the and the design together, and um, and yeah, and then and then the rest is, is history. <laughs> so it was very cool. So how does a Californian lady come to have a bakery for the past ten years in Hackney? Then I um yeah I'm, I'm from California. I'm from Northern California, um, not the sunny LA part, but the kind of chilly, rainy Northern California part, and. Um, I fell in love with an English guy in San Francisco, and then we moved here about six years later, I think it was. Um, and when I got here, there was this uh, really kind of amazing food scene sort of being born. I think that there had been, already we had, or you had, I say we now, because I'm a citizen now, it's kind of exciting, but um, you had, the River Cafe and Moro and St. John and these restaurants that um, were kind of legendary in the US. And I came over and I did some stages at each of these restaurants uh, to kind of learn what they did and how they, how they worked. And what I noticed was that apart from St. John, they didn't really have pastry chefs. They kind of just had cooks going in and out yeah, I, I, you, you mentioned cooks and no pastry chefs there. I, I always, in my world, have maintained that uh, cooks are not bakers and bakers are not cooks. The difference between the two is absolutely huge, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And so in all these restaurants where I wanted to work, they didn't have a, a role that was specific to, to, to us pastry chefs. So I, um, you know, they would just sort of rotate the cooks in and out. And so I decided at that point, it's about three months after I, I moved here to start my own business um, and to do it on a market stall. So I could, uh, <laughs> so I could afford to do it really. And then also sort of figure out if, if, if I was any, if I was any good here, if they liked me here. 
Well, you, you're also talking to the real people, aren't you? The, the customers, you, you can't get better feedback than, than talking to, to talking to somebody that's just tried one of your cakes and is coming back for a second or third time, maybe with what they call advice, but some might yeah. call criticism. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's so true. I mean, every week, you know, I would, I would get that feedback and I would, uh, and I would really, I would really take it on board and it helped me to develop my kind of core group of recipes, um, that I would, that I would create each week. And, and I would always throw in something that I would feel was a little bit more of a challenge, you know, um, we did these apricot <laughs> galettes, which really need to be eaten like within an hour of being made. And I would, you know, have to make them, I'd have to get up at like four in the morning after going to bed at one to make them and then pack them in my car and drive them down to the market. And it was like, why am I doing this? So yeah, I gave up on those, but yeah. I, th I think you're creating a very good picture for people who aren't <laughs> in the baking world. Uh, that it isn't a nine till five job, is it? No. Uh, no. So, so what, uh, what or who inspired you for your love of food and baking? I am. Um, so I'm, I, as I was saying, I'm, I'm from Northern California. I come from this really small town um, where it's, it's, it, we're very lucky there. We're, we're on a, on the, between the ocean and this bay. There's a lot of fishing. There's a lot of wildlife. There's a lot of foraging that goes on there, savory, sweet, everything. And a lot of people grow, you know, have apple trees and things like that. It's kind of, it's pretty idyllic. When I talk about it, I'm like a little bit embarrassed how nice it sounds, <laughs> but it is like this really cool place. And the food was the focus of everyone there because um, I think it's why a lot of people chose to move there. And obviously it was a huge agricultural um, area as well. And there's in really, um, historically, there's, it's a place where a lot of dairy comes from. So, yeah, so it's kind of like around me all the time. And I think I took it for granted a bit. And then I went to college and uh, wanted to be a filmmaker, but then decided uh, that that wasn't right for me. And, and I went back into cooking and then I went to Chez Panisse. And then it was like, I was like, oh, I'm from this place that has all these amazing things. And that's why I'm into this, you know what I mean? So it was kind of this roundabout way that I figured it out. And Chez Panisse, I, I think mm. that's... Uh quite a famous place over there is it not yeah yeah <laughs> so and, and was there anybody particularly there who uh sort of you might have looked up to as a uh, either inspiration yeah. or a mother or a father figure to help you on your way yeah well i mean obviously so it was started by alice waters who's um she's known as sort of i think I mean, she kind of turned California cuisine around. I mean, there was a, a movement happening, um, but she spent time in, in France and in Europe, and she wanted to bring these ideas of farm to table, of market cooking to America. And so she did that, and then she, you know, it's a long, long story, which is well documented, but she was very hugely influential in that and really kind of changed the way we eat in America. And, um, and, and, so she was so amazing because she was there every day and kind of coming through and we would taste things together and she was very, um, she scrutinized everything, but in a way that we learned as, as she did. So uh, it was very inspiring and you just wanted to, you know, you hoped that you would make something that she would notice. <laughs> yeah. Sounds very much as if her uh, enthusiasm was infectious. Reminisces a little bit here with myself. I 
when I left school and college, um, I had a desire for some way or another to become involved with the, the wine industry. Father had a, uh, a bakery, but he also had a wine shop, quite extensive one. And I had lots of introductions to various people in the wine industry in London. Um, but it was, it just didn't, it was never to be. And then one day, short-staffed in the bakery, father said to me, um, well, you're not staying around here at home doing nothing. You're coming in to help. And that continued for two years. And I then thought, well, actually, I quite like this. Uh, but there was nobody to really show me what to do. Everybody was too busy doing what they were doing as opposed to taking time aside to teach young sort of boss's son uh, yeah. the, the, the credentials of the uh, uh, industry. Uh, so uh, I went to a day release. Gosh, this is a long time ago at the college in Nottingham. And uh, it had no relation in those days to what you were actually producing in the bakery. So I might be making, let's say, five or six hundred scones with uh, uh, whatever, uh, 16 kilo of, of flour. But in in the bakery, in, in the, uh, the school, you would have half the kilo of flour, very, very precious. And you made about six or seven uh, scones. But it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it started off the, uh, the theory and, and the understanding of what a science baking is. And and then I went back to the uh, bakery for about a year and father took me to one side and he says, well, you seem to have a liking for this. So if you're going to do it, we better make sure you have the training that I never had. So I uh, became enrolled at the National Bakery School, as, as it was called at the time, uh, mm. which is very close to the current Borough Market in London and uh, did a two-year diploma course, which for me, I think was the best grounding I could have ever had. Um, you, you had no distractions. Uh, well, for a young person in London, there were some distractions, but uh, <laughs> uh, in, in, in terms of learning all the theory and the science, it was absolutely marvelous. And, and I think that was, uh, uh, so my inspiration was very much my father for pointing me in that direction. You see, I'm so um, envious because I always wished that I'd studied a little bit more. I, I, I really learned on the job. I learned from my parents and my grandmother, and then I learned on the job at Chez Panisse. Um, well, and also I, I worked in bakeries throughout my schooling. But yeah, I, I, you're lucky that you got to study. I think it gives you a certain kind of confidence. <laughs> well, it, it gives you a grounding, doesn't it? And then you mm. have to then you get out there and, and uh, put it to good use, hopefully, in, in various places. Uh, we used to call it journeyman baking mm -hmm. in the city and guilds times uh, here in Britain, where, where you would travel around uh, to gain experience and wisdom. So when, when you moved to uh, England, uh, you mentioned that you sort of worked in various places. Uh, it was called staging, I think, or in, in my uh, pronunciation. Uh, what, what exactly is that? Yeah, so when I was in, um, in restaurants in the US, we, we, we called it staging, which I think it's like stagiaire uh, comes from that, um, where you would go and, and work. Sounds similar to this journeyman baking. I'm going to look into that. I've not heard of that. But basically, you would go around, if you worked at a restaurant, say like 
Chez Panisse where I was and you could um, go to like-minded restaurants and they would welcome you and you would uh, you know, go for oh, say a week or two weeks and um, kind of like an internship but more like as a professional to professional and you could learn how they do things, the ingredients that they use and the style that they work in and it's amazing because it, it, it's such a lovely experience because you're so welcomed in by other chefs and then you get to, you start to create a network of, of chefs and friends and um, yeah, it really was like some of the some of the best times doing that, really enjoyed it. Very, uh, very important as well, what, what, mm. what you learn from moving from one to one and, and the developing friendships as well, there's a camaraderie yeah. isn't there in, the, in this business uh, that is, I find is second to none. If Absolutely. You, how many industries out there are out there are there that if you run out of an ingredient, say you've run out of yeast, and you go and knock on the baker's door around the corner and <laughs> your your competitor and say, "Can we borrow some yeast?" And it's never no, or it, yeah. it isn't. Yeah. Uh, I, I've I've never encompassed a no, um, which, which is very very pleasing, and I, I think it's an envy of many other industries as well. So I've noticed that a, a lot of your uh, creations naturally have uh, an American theme or background theme to it but there's a lot of styling goes on a, a lot of <laughs> to make these stunning cakes um, <laughs> do you have a big team to help you or just well, very much on your own yeah no uh, no I started it on my own 100% I mean I, it was just me I would shop on Thursday bake on Friday and sell on Saturday and collapse on Sunday but I um, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and sometimes most of Thursday, I was working as a food stylist, as as you, as you mentioned, styling. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, for me, I always really loved the visual and the and the actual, you know, obviously the baking for me. I, I never wanted. To, so let me make that more clear. I love the visual, the way that we like make cookbooks or use Instagram, and the way that we look at baking through that kind of. Um, lens, but I also really bake for flavor and for taste, and so I wasn't doing anything really, um, you know, nothing architectural or anything really super fancy. But I, I love the way that we can kind of see see it as well. I studied film, um, so I think those two things come together. And so yeah, so when I started the business, it was just me, and then I realized that I needed to open a bakery, and because I couldn't sustain it at home anymore, and when I did that, I realized I needed help and so I, I started like one by one hiring people um, and then they kicked me out of the kitchen so <laughs> they were like you're, you're basically like you know trying to talk to the customers you're trying to style things up and make them look nice and then you're like forgetting that you've got you know a mix halfway made and something in the oven and so they asked me to <laughs> they very nicely asked me to leave the kitchen um, but that was when I was able to actually start growing the business so I, I'm grateful for that. There is something about customers as important as they are to all of us. Yeah. Um, they do like to see and talk to the boss, don't they? They do. They like that. And, and, and if they know the boss has actually made their cake, it just seems to look and taste that much better. So we've talking of taste and looking, we've, we've got five senses, as I'm sure everybody out there knows and if, in case you don't there's five I know, I know you do Claire but in case <laughs> others don't we've got five senses touch smell taste sound and sight is there any one of those that's dearer to your heart than the others or are they all sort of 
intrinsically linked together for you? I like this question. I think that they are really linked. I think that we are, um, you know, we have to look at our senses as we use them in our work as, as a whole. Um, I really use all of those senses when I'm baking. And I really use them all to decide, A, whether or not I like a recipe when I'm developing it, um, and B, you know, when it's in the oven, I use all, every single one of those senses to see if something's ready. And then when you present them as well, you know, to your customers. And, and so much of that, um, like the smell and the sight and the sound and all those things are such a part of the experience too when, when customers come into the bakery, don't you think? Because it's like all of those things, you know, they, they say, oh my God, it smells amazing when they walk in. It smells like Christmas in here or, you know, whatever time of year it is. And then um, it also marks the seasons. And so I think, yeah, using all of those things and then how you display your, your, your creations and, and then, of course, how they taste. So, yeah, I, I couldn't choose one. You've just caused me to remember something then when um, f for a number of years now, I've uh, been very fortunate to be chair of the judges at the World Bread Awards. Mm, cool. And uh, it seems to be going from strength to strength, which is great. It appeals yeah. very much to the uh, uh, smaller artisan bakers. Um, but there are, it's open to everybody in the trade. And there was one occasion where there was a particular loaf and it was a uh, described as a Christmas twist. So it is a plaited loaf um, and you could smell it from mm. sort of about two, three meters away. And it just, with, with the cinnamon, there was mm. a touch of pine, but the pine wasn't in there. The demerara sugar, mm. uh, and, and it all delivered when you came to taste it. But as, as soon as you smelt it, it took you to a Christmas market, perhaps yeah. in Nuremberg or, or yeah. wherever. Uh, and ju just you couldn't help but want to have a slice you know you, you're dying to have a slice it actually won an innovation award on, on that particular occasion made, cool. by a, made by a baker in pool and of course alongside the senses we've got the tastes haven't we yeah um which uh again no doubt uh, you'll incorporate into all your magnificent creations yeah I, I really um think a lot about the taste because um i like to i think a lot of times with baking they're over uh, things are overly sweetened aren't they so i mean sugar is an amazing tool for texture and for structure um and so they tend to get over you and for preservation so it tends to be overused and so I try to really use less sugar, um, but another way to kind of combat that if we need a particular amount of sugar for say like a buttercream for it to hold up, um, you know, I really think about putting in acidity or saltiness or bitterness, you know, to, to counteract that. So uh, I think that using those tastes are, is, is really vital. Do you, are you still able to, um keep doing what you obviously learned back in California with the foraging? Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Um, I have a, I have a almost five, she's almost five years old, my daughter. And um, I try to take her out. We did a lot of foraging of blackberries this summer. Um, was locked down and, you know, we we're close to some marshes where there are lots of, of wild brambles. And 
So we, we did like all this blackberry picking. It was, it was awesome. It was so nice to do that with her. And then also just to start to teach her about foraging and about, you know, she, obviously in school they teach you to be very, in forest school and things, they teach you to be very careful about poisonous things. But I think it's also really important to not make her afraid of, of, of foraging in nature. And we talk about mushrooms and we talk about, um, you know, all these things that you can find. And obviously you need to be sure that it's, that it's safe. But um, yeah, I think it's a magical thing. And I grew up doing that. So I, I, I like to do it with her. So blackberry picking, did she come back with purple? and mauve yes. hands and yes. tongue because all the ones you knew she'd been tasting them because when, when she said hello yeah, not, and opened her mouth not that many went into the into the container to be honest <laughs> well that's half the joy isn't it really definitely definitely just a couple of quick fire questions for you just yeah. from center right as it were coffee or tea which coffee. do you prefer coffee for sure do you is that sort of instant or uh, uh, uh oh percolated? no 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 no, no, it's got to be. I mean, I, I'm a little bit spoiled because I, we have amazing coffee um, at our at the bakery. So we have, we're supplied by All Press, and they've great partners. You talk about, you know, the camaraderie in our industry, and they've always been such an incredible support. But um, so we have an amazing, you know, La Marzacco machine, and so I, I tend to drink coffee from that. <laughs> I think I'd be disappointed if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I also, I love bitter, so I'm a big fan of bitter things, so so I, that's, yeah, I love, I love a black coffee. So chocolate, dark, uh, plain, milk? Dark, obviously. Lovely flavour, isn't it? Mm. What's your favourite tipple? Tequila. Tequila. <laughs> uh -huh. Yep, uh -huh. but a really good one, a really good one. I mean, tequila is amazing now, and you can get so many great ones, um, and I, I love uh, really, my favorite drink is to have a, a really good aged tequila just on, on ice. <laughs> and sometimes after a long day, we've earned it, haven't we? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I suppose I, I know the answer to this. Do you have a favorite time of day? The morning. Being a, ba being, yeah, being a baker, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'm up, six o'clock is kind of late for me to wake up. I'm in total agreement there. Sometimes we have to remind people that there's two, three or four o'clocks in a day. Yeah. People often say to me, oh, I got this email from you, three in the morning. And I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> so who in the world do you most admire? Either alive now or has, has been or, or are no longer with us, sadly? Um, I have to say my daughter. I, I, I thought a lot about this question or you know I get asked a similar questions but really at the moment I'm so blown away by by her and by the whole idea that she has this whole life ahead of her and that she's just learning every, I mean she learns every, you know she's just turning five so she's learning how to read and write right now and how to count and do maths and I'm so blown away by her confidence every day to go into a school, especially during this whole pandemic and everything's a bit weird, you know, and there's not a lot, a lot going on with hanging out with friends and stuff. So I, I just admire her so much. Um, she really inspires me. Yeah, she's the best. Probably to do something with her mother's genes, you know. <laughs> and well. it, can, oh, can she bake? Does she bake? Yes, she's starting to. She made her own dessert the other day, uh, her own creation, which was, I'm not going to put her down, but it was quite extraordinary. <laughs> but it, was, it was so cool. She just had this really clear idea of how she wanted to make this apple kind of, it was sort of a, kind of an apple soup, I'd call it. <laughs> um, which, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. It was very cool. 
Well, we all we all start from humble beginnings, don't we? You know, acorns <laughs> acorns grow into oak trees, and and exactly. Uh, what's what's that other expression of? Um, the apple Why? doesn't fall far from the tree. Oh, <laughs> that, that's, yes, that's absolutely. But uh, wisdom doesn't necessarily come on very young shoulders. You know, it develops in time. So um, <laughs> may, maybe there'll be, maybe one day there'll be a Violet Cakes and daughter in Hackney. Uh, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and that'd see. That'd be cute. That'd be cute. Now, if you were stranded somewhere. Um, let's say a desert island and you've got all the facilities of a bakery but you're only allowed four ingredients what would they be and why okay so i would want to have butter sugar <laughs> eggs and vanilla i was going to say flour but then i thought the island would probably have coconuts i'm imagining um and then i could make coconut flour out of the coconuts and I and I chose these because then I thought I could make anything because I could go around the island and I could forage for say some fruit or some kind of interesting plants uh, to give it flavor and then I could <laughs> that I could uh, you know make salt from the seawater so I kind of have yes. everything if I had if I had that it's it's amazing what there is available on our own back doorstep isn't it yeah for sure and, uh, have, have you found in these recent months, um, I say months, most of this year really, where people are taking more interest in what they eat, they're, yeah. they're sort of um, living to eat more than what, rather than living to eat as opposed to eating to live. I've, uh, I, I've sort of noticed how people are much more into a provenance where ingredients come not not just where a product comes from but where ingredients come from mm -hmm. um and very strong-minded about it as well mm -hmm. but i i sense that's something you've been doing all along anyway at violet cakes well it's true i mean i i came from that's where i that's where i was, I was trained in that way and so i it's very important to me that you know that 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 comes through in in my business as well I feel like uh, I couldn't bake any other way than to care about where the ingredients came from. The only thing about it is that it can definitely be more expensive. And that's the one thing that I find difficult to kind of preach that way of baking to other people. Because I also think that, you know, if all you can afford is something that you don't totally know the provenance of, I would hate to discourage you from baking with those things too. But if you do have the option, you will notice that the flavor is better. You know, eggs taste different, flour tastes different, you know, all these things, um, just the basics. And then, of course, the fruit, not even, you know, not even mention the fruit. The fruit is going to, you know, if it's in season and it's abundant, it's going to be more delicious. So I think um, wonderful for people to be moving in that direction and really great. But, you know, uh, it, it does come it does come with a price. Unfortunately, it does. And of course, availability of yeah. most things can happen all year round now. Are, are you a big believer in sort of trying to stick to seasons with, with uh, perhaps fruits, I, um, flowers. I, I, I definitely do. It's one of my, um, one of my major tenets of, of baking. And I, I mean, it's so much more enjoyable as a baker because obviously we do a lot of repetition. There's a lot of repetition. We make things en masse over and over and over and over again. So the one thing that can make it a bit more exciting in the kitchen for us is to, you know, change the fruit so say we're making a scone or a muffin or something with a 
particular fruit on top and you know then each season we can change the fruit so it's the same base recipe because that recipe is really popular and we've got it down but then we can make it interesting by changing the fruit so that makes it it's great for bakers uh also you know i i think things definitely taste better when they're um in season when they're grown and ripened on the tree and 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 that and it's better for farmers usually as well so yeah i kind of am like a total geek about that like i even my friend heard me tell my daughter the other day <laughs> she was like asking for blueberries and i was like no we can't they're not in season and she's like they're right there and i was like like no i know but can we just please get apples <laughs> and she was like oh you know really frustrated but yeah i try to do that i, I break sometimes well don't we all <laughs> and hope nobody's looking yeah now um exactly you you've You've written a number of books, cookery books, baking books, etc. Uh, any, any more on the horizon, perhaps? Yes, thank you. I am writing one right now. Um, this is my, it's my second book about Violet and kind of the way I bake. I, I did do a few other ones before the Violet Bakery Cookbook, um, which, which were great ways to kind of learn how to write cookbooks. I, I did a couple collaborations and some books that publishers asked me to write and that was was really great. I'm so, I I love I do love writing cookbooks although it whenever I sit down to do it I'm like why am I doing this <laughs> again? Because <laughs> it's so much work um, and takes inevitably so much longer than you think. But it's a it's a real it's a really a joy to do. So my mom is a writer and editor so it's kind of in my blood to do it. Yes, I I love to read cookbooks uh yes. be it baking or cookery I, i'm not necessarily going to try every recipe but i, I can just yeah. sit down and read one me too and i've uh, got shelves of them which uh, me too. <laughs> yeah that's that that's a hobby for me and uh, sort of a, a final question for me what would be your out of all the cakes that you make do you have a favorite Ooh, um my favorite cake to make gosh it's tricky. I, the, the, the thing, I'll say with the first thing that popped into my mind was my ginger molasses cake. Um, and that's a, that is actually a variation of a restaurant that we used to make at Chez Panisse, but that I made uh, a bit more spicy and a bit more, uh, a bit darker, because I think when I moved to England, I could, there was this whole other palette that I, that I hadn't tapped into. California is very light and fresh. England is like treacle and and spice and you know deep flavors and I got really into that and it was kind of one of the cakes that put violet kind of I think on people's radar so I'd, I'd say my I'd say my ginger molasses cake was my favorite one yes well of course you've only got to start to travel toward the north of England and yeah. uh, you're into parking parking territory yeah, aren't you delicious. and, and uh, it, it's uh, yeah delicious hot or cold it makes a lovely mm. dessert yes um, uh, which is absolutely scrumptious, yes. And, and yeah, really my, fi nice. my, fi my final question is, what would be your last meal on earth? Do you know what? <laughs> I would really love a bowl of seasonal fruit. So whatever season I destined to die in, it would be something, it would be that. It would actually be a, a bowl of fruit that was just perfectly ripe. Maybe if I if it were in the spring, uh, sorry, in the autumn, it would be figs and some and some fragolina grapes. That that would probably be my. Hopefully, I die in the autumn. Can I can I ask for that? <laughs> yes, yes, we'll allow that. Spring, okay. summer, or spring, summer, autumn, and winter. It's it's going to vary, isn't it? It's, yeah, uh, exactly. 
It's, it's very similar to a pie. If somebody was to say to me, you know, what's your favourite pie? And, and um, yes, sort of pork pie and Mel Mowbray pork pie would feature, but it would depend upon really the, the time of the year. Mm. And it'd be a very different pie in spring and summer to exactly. uh, compared to something that's heartwarming, a bit gutsy in, in autumn and winter when it's colder. <laughs> Precisely. Well, Claire, it's been fascinating and an honour to have a chat with you. I, I I've really enjoyed really this. Wish, Thank you. I really wish Violet Cakes goes from strength to strength. Thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll continue to uh, make the, the stunning cakes that you do. And, and uh, the A-list of customers will <laughs> uh, continue in the same vein as well. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's been a joy. Baker's Dozen on Food FM. You've been listening to The Baker's Dozen on Food FM with your host, Stephen Hallam, the pork pie man with a bow tie from the old pork pie shop in Melton Mowbray, the centre of excellence for pork pies.